Hi and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie and in each episode I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and take care of our amazing natural world. In this episode, Tim Hancocks and I chat to Mark Williamson, a modern apprentice with Nature Scott, focused on rural environmental conservation. He tells us about the wide variety of work he's involved with across three national nature reserves, his work experience so far, his career aspirations and how he makes space for nature every day. Hi Mark, welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast. Thanks for joining us today. So tell us about your career path so far. What did you do after you left school? I think I'm like most people in this sector, uh, left uni and couldn't immediately find a job within the nature space. So I worked a few odd jobs between things like Tesco and Domino's and I did a lot of volunteering with other nature organisations. Uh, I did some with Nature Scott. I volunteered at the Craig Meggie Reserve over winter. I was doing volunteering with the RSPB. I was helping them out at Loch Lomond doing some practical work, some invasive species control and uh, habitat improvement. And I did a little bit of volunteering as well with the Scottish Wildlife Trust in uh, Grangemouth. That was, um, it was with a kids group and then showing them things about nature and teaching them things about the outdoors. So all of that was basically just trying to get experience to actually let me get a first step through the door. Great. And did, you said you went to university. What did you study there? So I studied uh, zoology at the University of Glasgow. So I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I knew I always wanted to work outdoors and something to do with nature, but I wasn't quite sure if that was going to be more, you know, lab-based or analytical stuff. But the more time I spent at uni and the more field work I did, I realised it was more of the field side I wanted to do. So it's good that I've ended up doing the job I'm doing. Brilliant. Great. And, and how did you find out about your role in Nature Scott? You've obviously done a, a lot of volunteering and, you know, very outdoors roles. What, what made you apply for the apprenticeship uh, and the new job? I think the main reason was, first of all, it's paid. There's a lot of uh, volunteering contracts I see all over the place, a three-month placement there or, you know, do a winter here, summer there, and they're unpaid. And as good of an opportunity as they could be, you know, you do obviously need uh, either someone backing you up or spare money to do them. So they were great experience and I've done them myself. But the fact that this was paid was an obvious choice to go for. And yet I heard about it whilst I was in university. I had seen people in the years above me be accepted for similar grad schemes or project placements or apprenticeships with NatureScot. And I did apply in my first year leaving uni, but I didn't have enough experience to get the ones local to me. So like I was just saying earlier, a bit of volunteering, see a bit more, learn a bit more. And in my second year of applying, I was lucky enough to get the one up here. How are you doing, Mark? Could you let us know a bit more about what, what your apprenticeship involves at the moment and, and what skills you bring to it and, and what you enjoy about working for Nature Scott? I think the thing I enjoy the most is the, uh, the variety of it, you know, because I'm based out on one of, well, I'm based out on three NNRs. So you, there's three different sites, three different, completely different ecologies, different types of visitors, different things that happen across the year. You know, one of them's a woodland, the other two are coastal sites. The species you have throughout the year are totally different. The work as well is completely different. Sometimes it's, like I'm saying, recording, monitoring, doing habitat improvement work. Then there's a lot of working with the public, if that's university groups or taking school groups out or just chatting to people about what they've seen or the amount of times I get a blurry photo of a bird and someone's asking me what this is. That's about half of my conversations with the public. And then the last part is there's a lot of the practical work that we do. So last week we had a big storm blowing over the woodlands, so we spent a whole day out cutting down dead trees that are blown over the path or blown over the road. There's a lot of, again, like the habitat management stuff. So every day is different and I do enjoy the variety of it. Yeah, brilliant to be able to spend 
time outdoors, even if it is in a, a, a chilly Scottish winter. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a sunny February day today, but. <laughs> um, and uh, so, Mark, what do you think can be done to get more young people such as yourself interested in working for the organization or in the wider nature-based job sector in, in general? I think there is already quite a large interest. A lot of the people that I went to university with, we all started off, you know, wanting to do a job similar to mine. So I do believe the interest is there. I do think opportunities like mine is probably the best way to get into, you know, no one comes into this line of work mistaking what it's going to be. And very few people come here for the money. You know, it's a vocation. People really do choose to this for a long time. And because of that, once someone gets a permanent job, they will often hold on to it for life. So I do think these placements are good to let you break and get a little bit of experience because the competition is enormous. Uh, you know, people have spent years researching things, working on sites. So schemes like this, I believe, are very useful for getting someone who, you know, has the passion and has some of the knowledge, but doesn't yet have it in a professional setting. So if schemes like this are expanded or just continue, I think this is an incredible way to break people into the industry. Right. And what would you say to people who are thinking of a career in nature, Scott? I mean, what has your experience been so far? Has there been highs, lows, positives, negatives? You know, what, what could you tell people about the organisation? I've, I've absolutely loved it so far. You know, everyone I've met is incredibly nice, incredibly kind, uh, super knowledgeable. You know, also from a professional point of view, the amount I've just learned from different people working across different habitats, like I was saying earlier. Everyone seems super keen to be here as well. There's a passion in the organization that I quite enjoy. And yeah, like I've been saying, you know, it's a great job, a great place to work. I enjoy the variety. I've not had so many lows, like you say, you know, occasionally when it's a dreak and horrible morning. I'm not super keen to go out, but there's not been a day I've regretted going to work, at least yet. But mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you were talking about the variety of the, the nature reserves. You, you cover three nature reserves, is that right? What, what three, which ones are they? So I'm in the North team and I'm based around Aberdeenshire. So they're all essentially nearby Aberdeen City. There's the Forvey National Nature Reserve, and that's a coastal site. It's got a lot of dune heath as well, wetlands and an estuary running through it. So that's got a massive seal haul out, tons of wildfowl breeding seabirds. There's then the St. Cyrus Reserve, which is a much smaller but coastal site. And that's got a lot of uh, interesting fauna, lots of, uh, sorry, lots of interesting flora. It's, um, far warmer than a lot of similar habitats nearby. So you get a different set of plants and grasses and the entire assemblage is different. It's got a more similar um, climate to Yorkshire. So yeah. it's an interesting site for seeing things you wouldn't see nearby in the area. Again, interesting seabirds. And the last one is the Muir of Dinnet Nature Reserve. And that's often the Cairngorms, you know, that's big hill, mountain country, pine woods, locks, bogs. That's what you often picture when you think of Scotland rugged highlands and that is again totally different species totally different workload you'd get there but like i keep on saying it's the variety of it you know you can learn stuff from one reserve and see a completely different set of species and habitats the very next day at work brilliant that's one of the great things about uh, the outdoors in scotland as well i think is the fact that there is that kind of variety all relatively close together so it's quite nice that you've you've had that exposure to all three reserves and what they have to offer has that helped at all as far as, you know, thinking of finding your own passion and, and as far as your career and where, where you'd like it to take you and, and what you might like to focus on in the future? You know, hopefully we'll be able to keep you at Nature Scott a bit longer, but uh, you, you may have ambitions in, in all kinds of directions. Yeah, I would certainly like to stay with Nature Scott. If the more I become familiar with the organization, you know, it makes it easier to stay, I suppose. 
But no, I, I'm almost considering wanting to do more project work. I would like to work on something and be able to see it, you know, change or improve uh, so many of the reserves we have, like Craig Meggy I mentioned earlier. Working over there over the course of many years or a good span of a career is uh, you'd be able to see woodland regeneration. The long and short of it is it's a reserve that's trying to regenerate woodland over what is a bare hill. So being able to work at a site that's actively improving its ecosystem would be quite good fun. I would like to see, you know, my efforts show up year on year and see a woodland spread and more species return and the diversity come back. So I'd see that as not just a job, but also a project to actually work on as well. Something similar to that, at least. I, I hope you're taking lots of pictures now and then you can look back and in the future and see how things have changed. Certainly, you know, Forvey, I can't remember, is the third or fourth largest mobile dune system in the UK. And, you know, every time I speak to the locals, even my staff members, there's one dune that I look at and it's enormous, but it used to be about twice to three times the size. And just as the wind blows, you know, just the same consistent direction over like the last 15 years, it's collapsed. And there was a like 30 meter gap you used to be able to drive the truck in. It's now just full of sand. And, you know, again, over the next 20 years, as this blows in, it's going to drown some habitats out with sand. That's going to make a new niche for something, or there'll be a new wet bit, a new dry bit. So like you say, a bit of photography or just even looking at the satellite map, seeing how a site changes is, that would be incredibly interesting. Like you say, I do regret not taking so many photos, but over two years, I don't really know how much of a difference you'd have seen, but definitely a project to keep in mind. Have you found, um, since you started working, your your plans for your own career have changed just from the experience you've gained, or is it just you know, confirmed what, what you expected you would be interested in? I believe confirmed. It's also turned me into quite a big bird nerd, uh, going for uni and even my volunteering. They were kind of intimidating with the amount of them and how hard they could be to tell, but being exposed to them so often, again, being around such knowledgeable and passionate staff, it's something I would consider doing more now. You know, the thought of spending a summer working as a bird researcher on an island would have scared me in uni, and now it seems like a dream. So we'll see what comes next, but like you say, you know, it's it's definitely broadened my horizons, basically reinforced the fact that this is what I want to do. And just um, going back to the, the modern apprentice role, is is this a two-year post that you're in just now? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Due to end in July. Okay, okay. Well, fingers crossed that there's uh, certainly more opportunities within, within nature, Scott, for you. And... You know, we always talk about well, in our Make Space for Nature campaign, we want everyone, particularly younger people, to enjoy, you know, get out there, take care of nature, just even notice nature more. So how do you make space? Well, we kind of hear how, how much, you know, you make space yeah. for nature in your life. But is there any top tips for, for our listeners that you could pass on? Uh, like I used to work a lot in the city, you know, studying there in Glasgow and then I had a lot of jobs in Edinburgh. Uh, so as much as it is nice to get a weekend off at Loch Lomond or, you know, the Cairngorms or something, you don't always need to go so far afield to get a wee taste of nature. There's so many nice parks and local walks around cities that are so easily able to be found. Just in a quick Google search, if it's not like along a lock or a river around a park, that's a nice way to get just a little bit more nature in your life, especially if you've only got weekends. If you can walk to work on a nice sunny morning as well, that's nice. But what I've noticed, again, this might just me being a bit of a nature nerd, but trying to learn a few more of my, you know, most common plants, you'll see the most common trees, you see the most common birds, you'll see. I feel as if I pay a bit more attention, you know, when you actually hear a flock fly over and you can actually think to yourself, oh, that's, you know, that's a missile thrush or a tree you're seeing, you can actually tell what it is. Just having a little bit of knowledge of even the most common things around you, it feels, you know, a bit more close to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's plenty of ID apps or, you know, websites that people can actually uh, help ID, um, even bird songs and, and these kind of things. And even lichen and fungi and, you know, there's so much information out there. Uh, and once you start noticing things, you really do get, well, you do become a bit of a nature nerd. I think we all have that in us somewhere, but yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> no, I've not quite reached the lichen stage yet, but oh. come back to me in a couple of years and we might be there. <laughs> Do you have any um, um, favorite experiences so far, like the things that have, that have happened that, you know, by, by spending more time outdoors through this apprenticeship that you've been able to see your experiences? Of what, what's been your, your highlights reel, so to speak, so far? I'll, I can think of two recently. There was a group of crows flying around and I could notice that there was like a distress or alarm call going on. And again, that's just something you begin to pick up if you hear more of them. And I was like, huh, mm-hmm. I wonder what's annoying them. And I looked up and there was two buzzards above them. But they were then again doing the same call and was like, oh, what's annoying you? And looked up and there's two golden eagles way, way above them. Oh, wow. I know it's just something that if you weren't just paying a little bit of attention, you wouldn't have noticed. But, you know, someone's upset someone else. And then mm-hmm. they themselves are upset at the massive eagle flying above them. <laughs> but, you know, going back to just experiences, uh, I got to go out to the Isle of May for a week to help them set oh. up. And if you don't know, you know, that's... Uh, Little island off near Edinburgh, it's a massive puffin breeding colony. And just spending a week on there, seeing the seals, the puffins, all the seabirds, that was just amazing. You know, living on site, being able to wake up just a bit before breakfast, go for a walk, and there's 30,000 puffins flying above you. It's, I'd never seen one before, went out to that island and came back, you know, enough puffins for a lifetime, basically. It's, <laughs> it was an amazing, an amazing wee experience. Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm still yet to get out there myself, but... Must make the journey. Oh, you have to, yeah. Uh, through your work, being able to spend more time outdoors, do you feel like that's you know helped your mental health at all compared to, you know, we, it's easy for us to get carried away in, in indoors or, or locked behind screens, you know, for anybody right now. Do, have, you, have you noticed the difference through, through being able to spend more time outdoors or being, like, like you say, being sometimes forced outdoors when the weather's not the best when, and, and just getting that extra time? I believe so. You know, it's... Even when there are stresses at the job, if it's between the public or like have to storm or and, you know, tore a bird hide apart and trees have collapsed everywhere. I think it's quite easy to tell sometimes when a job is done, you know, at the end of the day, if you're able to truly see you've made a difference or what you've done is finished, it can help you get like almost a sense of accomplishment. So that's a nice little dopamine boost at the end of that. And again, you know, it's sometimes hard to feel down when there's a nice sunset or nature's doing something amazing you know there's obviously stress in all walks of life but at least for me nature's a a good de-stress or a nice sweet top up of joy so if you've not tried it i would say you know like we're saying earlier even if you're based in a city just spend more time in a local park or just tune out for a little while looking at a river it might if it's for you then it could be a nice little tool to keep for yourself and for you've obviously come across a lot of different types of visitors where is it you know, from different backgrounds and, and age groups coming out and, and meeting them at the NNRs. If you, if you had one request you could mention to people or something that they, that they mustn't miss or should or shouldn't be, be doing, what, what would it be? I think the two that we probably encounter the most in the summer are when it's really, really dry. You know, we often ask people, don't have fires, like just please don't. But during high fire times, it's just a blanket, don't. You know, there's that's when one spark can just get completely carried away and it happens all the time. So up in the Cairngorms, if it's Mar Lodge or on Speyside, you know, when that happened, uh, was it Abernethy had a forest fire quite recently. And again, it's only for just the smallest part of the summer if it just hasn't rained, like just please don't during those times. 
uh, there's such a carry away it can become when it's, um, you know, once fire hits woodlands or once it gets into heather, it's unstoppable. So that would be one thing. Just we're not trying to nanny you just during the worst times, please keep an eye on that. And the other one would be during a short bird breeding season, we ask people to keep their dogs nearby or on a lead or at least be able to recall. Uh, the dog, because I've seen so many times when they've come back, like I've seen a dog run to the path with a deer fawn in its mouth. I've seen them do it with dead ducks. And, you know, when, when you work in a space that's meant to be kept for nature, I don't personally think it's right for you to be able to let a dog off the lead and scare the wildlife and hurt the wildlife again. This is a space, ideally, that's kept for them. So especially in the bird breeding season, just keep an eye. If there's a sign saying, avoid this area, please, or could you please keep a dog on lead? It's not, again, someone trying to nanny. You know, it's trying to create space for fragile species that some of them are endangered and threatened so if and where you can please try and respect that but for the most part all the visitors are amazing friendly people they always want to have a chat they always telling you some story or something so i do enjoy my time with the public yeah that's brilliant thank you yeah i think those are some of the key messages we have with through the the scottish outdoor access code as well as trying to keep your dog on a lead especially if there's wildlife about as you say and um, using a camping stove rather than lighting fires because we don't want things getting out of control where and and people not doing it on purpose you know that accidents can happen i believe almost all of them are started by accidents i don't think anyone tends to do that but yeah that's it you know just a gust of wind or just not paying attention for a second it can just get utterly carried away yeah thank you so much for for coming on today mark it's it's been Great hearing of your experiences and, and we look forward to following your career and, and seeing where it goes out and hopefully spending a few a few more years out in the nature reserve, seeing how they change. No, let's let's hope so, yeah. We'll see, we'll see. But no, thank you for your time today, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Make Space for Nature, please follow it on your podcast app and leave a review or rating. We'd also love you to tell more people about the series. For more ways to connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.